0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Well, um, I don't know if Jaime had had mentioned. Did you, did you say uh, what happened when you called me? Uh, I didn't tell anybody. No. <laughs> Well, uh, there was a, a miscommunication. Um, I, even though I was originally scheduled to be here um, uh, for on the calendar uh, a couple of weeks ago, Kate uh, Munding, the co-guiding teacher, uh, and I had an exchange and... Uh, My understanding was she was going to be back tonight, and said there's only a couple of times in the next few months that um, I'm I'm going to be here, and it would it be okay if I if I uh, came on November 9th? Now I've got to go check the email. Um, She said one at the beginning, and then one in January, and I said sure. If you I'd I'd rather have. Uh, them see you and uh, and take advantage of, of that opportunity. Um, so I was at home having a very relaxing evening, just about to watch the first episode of the Vietnam series with Jane, uh, when Jaime called and said, hello. <laughs> and I knew right away calling it, because a few minutes before I thought, oh, they're sitting right now, and Kate's going to give the talk any moment. Um, so my apologies for the miscommunication, and uh, I'm here. I am, and it's great to be here. Um, I yet today was the first day, except for one day, uh, October thirty first, that um, I've been here on the on the. On the West Coast, in Berkeley, at home, uh, for the last uh, eight weeks now, because uh, I I taught the first six weeks, the first half of the three-month course at IMS, which was extraordinary, as it as it is when you guide people through that period of intensive practice. Uh, and then I went straight to Toronto, where I was. I agreed to do some teaching there. Um, also wonderful. I'd never been to Toronto before, and it was it was really great. Um, then I came back for one day and just uh, was teaching for the last week at Spirit Rock, this retreat called Waking Up Together. Um, that was. I think I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, because it's definitely fresh in my mind and things that I learned from it. Um, but anyway, uh, it just ended yesterday. So um, so here we are. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm really glad that worked out to just give myself a little bit of space to uh, just decompress. And um, But now that I'm here, it's really great to be here. And one of the Concerns that I had was that when if I'm uh, that people would still be showing up. There was a whole there were a whole bunch of uh, guest speakers. I hope they were good. They uh, I know I see some nods. They were uh, all people I respect very much. How many people have been coming the last few months? Good. Well, and I'd be very interested to hear any particular speakers that touched you and that were um, what you might have gotten from them. Um, in fact, well, why don't we do, just do that. It, you don't have to spend a lot of time because I do want to hear uh, a, any any particular um, um, evenings that that touched you. A woman who was a psychopath um, Oh, yeah, Thank. think... Linda Graham? Uh, Linda Graham just had a
1: phrase. Yeah, it's on. Had a phrase that said, um, oh, I, I'm not, not going to get the quote right, but all the stuff that goes on in your head, all the thoughts and the distractions and the emotions that you have, all has, from an evolutionary perspective, an adaptive function, which I thought was just a nice phrase. It, uh, all this stuff has an adaptive function. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah. Uh, so that's I mean, kind of a. Uh, something that I've worked with for years, mm. I guess, but that was just a nice turn of phrase that goes, mm. puts it into evolutionary sense.
0: Nice, yeah. Sometimes you hear a talk, and if you can take one thing back from the talk, often it's a story or just one, one phrase that sticks. I still have stuff from 40 years ago, from Trungpa Rinpoche saying that go through my mind. And one good thing you take back from a talk It's worth it. Uh, It stays with you. All the way in the back, yes.
2: Uh, I remember one night, Eve Decker was here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Singer was great. It was during the fires up north. Uh And kind of, not casually, but at some point she said something about how her close family was a sibling or someone. They were at her house because they had to be evacuated, and I was just so um, inspired by her <coughs> by her equanimity that she mm. could come here and be present and mm. sing for us and bring us so much peace. And when all this stuff was going on, because I mm. think a lot of us, you know, had somehow been touched by the fire.
0: Yeah, beautiful. So it's not even so much what what is said as as much the uh, the centeredness that somebody can bring. Thank you. Anything else? Yeah, uh, Nancy. Wait, hang on. Oh, oh, it's not Nancy. Huh? Wait, put it. Yeah.
2: Oh. Yeah. When the fruit is ripe, it'll drop from the tree.
0: When the fruit is ripe, it will drop from the tree.
2: Yeah, I just I yeah. love that. Uh huh. And then there was a teacher who. Talked about disability and how. Oh,
0: Deb Kerr.
2: Yeah. Oh, I was so moved by the mm. talk. She's a good she, one. She was really from the heart.
0: Oh, I'm. Um, I really enjoyed. Doesn't that. surprise me. I'm so happy to hear it. Uh, I've known Deb for many years.
2: Um, she- if you're interested in w- wanting to listen to those talks, you can go to the website uh, insightberkeley.org and check it out. Uh, so.
0: Excellent, yeah, and hi- Jaime records the talks, and uh, they're all up on InsightBerkeley.org and Dharma Seed, too, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, one more, and then we'll oh, oh, put it right like an ice cream cone on an angle right next to your lips. Let me try again. Right next to your lips. That's <laughs> it. There you go.
2: I was just going to say, uh, the first time I was here, I believe it was about five weeks ago. And a woman named Jane gave a talk. I believe she's your wife?
0: Jane Barris.
2: (laughs) Was she okay? It was my first time here. (laughs) The the topic of the talk was forgiveness, and it was absolutely marvelous. And it was a particular evening when I was very ripe to hear that talk, and Mm. uh, there was just not a single word that was dead weight. So Mm. I was really glad I was here.
0: How great. Oh, I'm glad I have a, something nice to say to her <laughs> besides standing her up on our <laughs> on our evening. No, she came. She said, "Yeah, go for it." Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm I'm glad to hear it. And and as much as anything, um it really uh makes me happy to see that this community is more than just any one person coming up here and, and speaking it's it's about uh, being together and sharing sharing the Dharma sharing the practice hmm so what does come to my mind is um, is sharing a little bit about community particularly after this last retreat and then we can open it up I don't know how long I'll be talking about it but um, but we can just have a conversation, and um, uh, whatever comes up, whatever you want to explore and practice, uh, we can we can look at together. Uh, but it was a very interesting experience this last this last retreat. Um, it was a, a retreat that uh, we planned for um, well for over a year. Um, but it was a different experience. This is, uh, some of you might know that um, I was part of a teaching team that led uh, a training called Heavenly Messengers for two years. And the Heavenly Messengers, if you're not familiar uh, with the, the phrase in Buddhism, uh, the Heavenly Messengers are uh, the, what woke the Buddha up, supposedly messengers... Metaphorically or literally, who knows, sent from, from, uh, the heavens to wake up the prince from his idyllic life of, of, uh, shelter and, uh, just of pleasure. Uh, and, uh, he went unannounced on his journey into, uh, out into town for the first time when he was 29 years old. And it hit him in a way that it had never hit him before that when he saw somebody who was old, somebody who was sick, somebody who died, a corpse, and he was told, this happens, this is part of, this is the facts of life, and everyone is subject to old age, sickness, and death, uh, that he realized that no matter how good he had it, Um, He, too, was subject to those things and wanted to understand where real happiness lies. And then the fourth messenger was an ascetic, a renunciate who had given up uh, worldly material uh, uh, goods and worldly life uh, to uh, go on a spiritual quest. And he said, what's with this fellow? And um, was told, that that's what he had done. And the prince, Siddhartha, was so moved and inspired by that fourth after seeing the first three messengers that he left the palace, went on his quest, and for the next six years did his arduous uh, quest that ended up in uh, becoming enlightened under the Bodhi tree at the age of 35. So we led this this program, a two-year training in old age, sickness, and death, and looking at them as vehicles for practice um, with about um, 90 or so people uh, doing five retreats and and really developing a sense of community as well as looking at those uh, those facts and reality. Um, and I did it with Sharda Rogel, who is another uh, beloved Spirit Rock teacher, and Frank Ostaseski, who... Uh, founded the Zen Hospice Project. Uh, His uh, colleague, Angie Stevens, one of the wisest uh, people I know. Um, And we said, we had such a good time doing this. Let's do it. Let's uh, go for another iteration. And so we had this idea to have a program, another training program, called Compassionate Companions, where it was going to be a sequel Where uh, we were going to, the idea was originally to train people to go back to their community to share a lot of the curriculum and build community and look at these topics um, in a two-year training. But for various reasons, the training didn't happen. Um, The timing wasn't right. There were some other... um, some other parameters, which I, I reasons which I won't go into now. So we said, okay, it's not happening, but let's do one retreat as a kind of um, uh, closure and 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 talk about community and the power of community, and we'll call it waking up together. Um, and we invited also uh, Vinnie Ferraro, who's uh, a very hip. Uh, beloved, cool uh, Dharma punks teacher who has a wonderful community in, uh, in San Francisco um, and a, a, a good friend. Um, and this uh, African-American woman um, who Vinnie teaches with, Pam Dunn, who, although she doesn't teach on retreats, She's been a teacher with Mindful Schools and does challenge days with Vinny for many, uh, for hundreds, a hundred thousand youth. They both taught in these very intense circumstances, creating community. So the six of us were really excited to to do this and just see what would be hap- would happen. And it was going to be a combination of a silent retreat and some. Interactive experiential stuff to, to build community. And the website said um, there, this retreat will have times of silence along with inquiry, uh, counsel, and experiential exercises as we come together as community. However, it wasn't clear to people, they didn't get enough information from that uh, write-up. And sometimes when they call and say, is this a silent retreat or uh, more of an interactive retreat? We didn't communicate clearly enough to Spirit Rock, so the registrars said, oh, it's a silent retreat. And the letter that went out that all retreatants got was the standard letter that talked about noble silence. Can you see where this is going? So there were some people who came on the retreat really looking forward to building community and having interactive experiential exercises really looking forward to it. And there were a number of people who were really looking forward to a silent retreat. Interesting, isn't it? It took us a little while to get a lay of the land. And by this, and when there was, uh, uh, the managers said right away, uh, as people were checking in, you know, uh, not everybody oh the managers thought it was a silent retreat too, actually. So they said silence will begin at eight o'clock. That was another another little added element. So we said, uh oh, this is there'll be silence, but it's not a silent retreat. So we had to sort things out. Like in real life. And and this is a you know when you if you've done retreats before you you know how much it takes to get there you set you, your whole life has to be organized maybe this is your vacation time and maybe it's your time to go deep within and somehow touch that place that the dharma has touched you or. Maybe this will be a time to really understand about relationships and interacting. Um, And there was going to be disappointment. How could there not be? This is one of those times where it's very good to remember that there's no way you can please everybody. But there we were and we said, oh, this is the situation here. Um, oh, and uh, Sharda Rogel, the, the one other Spirit Rock teacher, the others aren't Spirit Rock teachers, although they're fantastic teachers in their own right. Sharda was, uh, was sick for the previous uh, five weeks, and she came to the planning meeting just at the very day, but she could hardly talk, and she was under doctor's orders to not teach so she had to go. So there were just five of us. Uh, and we, I'd never worked with two of them. It was a whole new... It was like, what do you... You throw up the uh, the, the jacks in the air and you see where they land. and um, And it was amazing. It was amazing because community... I said towards the end, I said, you know, it took us, we met for a long time and uh, it was not easy to design a retreat that would start out with chaos in order to come to alignment. We couldn't have figured this out any better. There was something else that was writing the script. And there were some challenging moments because people were also asked to do a lot of interactive exercises and bare their soul when they came to be very quiet, you know, or to be um, the way that you wake up and build community. As I'm sure you know in your own life, when you're willing to be vulnerable with others, that is what opens up the heart. And when they're willing to be vulnerable with you, that is what opens up your heart. So we were asking some people to be vulnerable who that was the last thing they signed up for. And, um, and so sorting it out and um, seeing if we could get aligned and be on the same page and being very real, we were... Just asking, part of the practice was just being authentic with where you are. And we'd go into a day of silence and then come out and have a lot of interactive exercises and then go back into silence, pulsing we called it. So both to honor different people's perspectives as well as digest the stuff that would come up between us. And little by little, by little, by little, a community was formed. And we were saying, gosh, you know, in this world, if we can't figure out how to be together and somehow open up to different perspectives and somehow have an experience of harmony and connection how can we expect the world to others in the world and the way i saw it was this was a kind of preparation for each of us to carry that that embodied message of really learning to let let go Honor our preferences, but let go when, if it was for the greater good, uh, something else might uh, might emerge. Um, and it took a while, but that's what happened. Three people left, and I spoke to each of them, and it was absolutely perfect that they left, and they left in a very good spirit. I, I've had a, I I knew two of them. Quite well and one who didn't even know what a silent retreat was and if it was a silent retreat she uh, the silence as much as it was 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 too much for her Um, so everybody who stayed was choosing to stay Um, but it really gives me faith in community and I shared with people um, in one of my presentations that I believe in community Uh, because I've had my own experience of community. Uh, As uh, maybe some of you know, uh, I lived in a communal house in North Berkeley uh, for eight years, nine years. Uh, Wes Nisker was part of that house as well. His daughter Rose, uh, who was a little girl at the time, lived with us. Um, There were eight adults and uh, three children. It was the house. I'm sure everybody knows Caldwell Banker. You know the name Caldwell Banker, right? The great, the real estate firm. It was Mr. Banker's house. It was. A, it's a big house on Harwood Avenue. Money lying <laughs> no money lying around. No, but there was a hot tub in the back, and there was uh, there was uh, three different floors. It's where I held my uh, my Thursday group, starting in 1980, there I moved there in 1980, um, and uh, we would meet every Thursday night. This is starting. This is the 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 uh, continued incarnation of that, and um, it was an amazing house. So I want to I'll share with you a little bit about what I shared with um, with that group. Um, the person who owned the house was quite a brilliant extraordinary woman named Shirley Lewis who really understood structure that if you have the right structure, you can bring out the best in people. And we had uh, we ate together f- uh, four nights a week, Monday through Thursday. We cooked w- It was your night to cook. One out of those eight nights, and your and another one, you were the helper of the cook, and you would do a shop uh, period when it was your night to cook and were, everything was uh, all the all the jobs and chores and stuff was very well organized and our house meetings I want to share with you the house meetings, which was really the the um, what the template for Spirit Rock's board meetings? Because Spirit Rock was actually envisioned at Harwood House. That's where all the visioning happened. So our um, our our house meetings. This is how how it went. Uh, we'd meet every. Sometimes we, it would be once a week. Sometimes it would be every other week. Uh, and you wouldn't miss a house meeting. And it was really good. So this is if you ever here's a little structure for a, a good house meeting. So we'd start with a bit of a check-in. Just what's going on in your life. That, right? I'm sure you've been to my, many meetings where that happens. And then we'd have um appreciations where you would uh if you noticed somebody doing uh, had done something really good, you know, hey, um uh, Anne, I really, I was really moved the way you were there for for Adam when he was having a meltdown the other day. It was it was it was great. Thank you so much. Or uh, hey, Lynn, you did a fant. What was a great meal that you made, uh, and such like that. So you'd kind of be on the lookout for things to say, or you'd notice them, and. So we'd start off that, right, appreciations. Then if you happen to do something that others didn't see, that was good. Then there was a time for self-appreciations, By the way, you might not have realized it, but uh, I spent a little extra time uh, cleaning up the fridge this week, you know. Really? <laughs> so you had a chance. You didn't have to wait that somebody would somehow recognize it. It was self appreciations. The next part of the meeting was um, self clearings, where if you messed up, you know, uh, I have to admit that um, I I uh, I blew it as far as taking out. My job uh, taking out—I missed this piece of taking out the garbage. Um, You wouldn't miss taking out the whole thing for recycling, but I missed this, and I did this, or uh, or I I really um, I I was frazzled and didn't really uh, I kind of blew it on the dinner, whatever. So you do self clearings, right? And then in case you didn't happen to see how you messed up, then came clearings, right? Uh, by the way, James, um, you know, uh, that counter was a... So you wanted to get the self-clearings out before the clearings came, you know. This is like in, uh, enforced confessional, right? Uh, but you got to got it out. And um, then... After clearings, then came um, CRs, consciousness raising, where you have some things to, uh, uh, hey, folks, you, you got to really clean up the counters. Uh, we're getting a little bit careless there. Those are called CRs, consciousness raising raisers. Then there would be the agenda. You know, we got to look at this, this, and this, and this. And then at the end of the meeting, we'd have what's called process time, which was just a few minutes at the end, generally it was, it's so great being here with everyone. But sometimes it was, you know, when that happened, uh, this interchange between you and you, or when you said that to me, it, it felt a little sharp and I, I contracted. And we we said, rather than have somebody leave the meeting and have it fester within themselves much better to share with the group so you still feel connected and the group gets the benefit of hearing what's going on with you so we could help each other wake up it was quite brilliant and we're still close together all of those all of the people who who have who lived together? I visit our friends Tim and Lynn out in in Madison, Wisconsin, and our friend Wendy Zarin, who's also a Dharma teacher who lives in Colorado. We're all really close together. So I believed in community. I saw that it could work, and that's actually what, as much as as anything, inspired me to do this uh, community Dharma leader training that I. I I started at Spirit Rock and did the first three iterations because I believed in community. And my idea was, besides giving people the tools to go out and be leaders in their community, for everybody to have an experience over those two years of what it's like to be in community. Because that's where the magic would happen. Sure, it's good to know about different Buddhist concepts and about didactic, pedagogical um, uh, understandings in teaching. Um, But once you have your own embodied experience of community, you know what it's like. So we were seeing if we could do this in the course of, of a week, starting out with this chaos and ending up with that alignment. And one of the things that I, in my talk, that I wanted, uh, that I had wanted to share, and that I'll, I'll share with you, I don't have the, 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 the quotes uh, now, uh, was is um, this notion of collective intelligence, or collective consciousness, that has been a a, a very um, inspiring, not just concept, but Um, understanding of a principle that when people somehow work out their differences so that there's an alignment and it's less important who gets their way than how we can be together and bring out the best in each other magic happens and there are all of these studies it's quite beautiful um it, by the way there's one there's one article that inspired me that i had quotes from it inspired me like 20 years ago you can google it on uh uh you can google it as uh come together the power of collective con- uh, collective intelligence or collective consciousness by craig hamilton and he uh, he put together all of these these new um, paradigms that they're discovering of, uh, of what happens when people come together and are attuned. And that people's experience, and I'll ask you in a moment to see if you've been part of this, when people come together, that the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts. Have you ever been in a group where it just was kind of magical where everybody was on the same page and you were all part of something bigger. How many people have had that experience? It's pretty amazing when it happens. That's what I love about, about teams, about sports. That's the thing that's always turned me on about sports. And as a little aside, I want to say that the Golden State Warriors, embody this. That's why they're besides how amazing, yeah, they've got some of the best players in the world. That helps a lot too. But it's not just that. It's that Steve Kerr, the coach, I've talked about him before, his four core qualities are joy, mindfulness, compassion, and competition. And I've shared this before. When he came to the team he said, "We are, our unselfishness and joy is going to be what we're about. And the team went from having the fewest assists, that's where one player passes it to another player and they get a basket, to by far breaking all records, having more assists and passes than, than any team. And that's why people love to come to the Golden State Warriors because they want to play in that atmosphere. So anyway, this whole being greater than the sum of its parts, not only is it fun, but it kind of brings out something new out of everybody where all of a sudden you all become channels for an extraordinary collective intelligence to use the, the field of goodwill and shine through. I don't know if this, this sounds... Well, we're in Berkeley, so how could it be too woo-woo? But, uh, but where it's just using the, the energy that, that life is using that alignment to create something much bigger than anyone, any individual pieces could, could experience. Uh, in this retreat, one of the extraordinary things there was a talk Angie Stevens gave on separation and non separation, and she had these. Uh, everyone was broken up into groups of five, and first they said they were asked uh, talk about what um, what's the payoff in not uh, in resisting connection, right, and the. The group was talking about that for a while. Everybody had a chance to talk and then they talked about it together. And then the next uh, the next step, now talk about the value, the payoff in feeling connected, in letting go of the separateness and feeling connected. And then they would talk about their own experiences of that and each one, and then they went around together. And it was quite extraordinary. Then we took, harvested, we took feedback from, from people about, about their experience. And one fellow put it quite succinctly for everybody. He said, You know, we, we talked about that for, with that first question. There were uh, five or six people, individuals who were somehow stuck together. And when we talked about the power of connection, we became this group that all of a sudden uh, fell in love with each other. And it was like, "Oh, oh, do we have to end it now? Is the activity over now? There was something so magical about that. And there it was. And we kept on doing things like that throughout the week. So once again, I believe in community. Not only do I believe in it, feeling a connection, feeling a sense of connection is what's going to save this world. And that's what we're being asked to do. We are, uh, humans are tribal creatures. We need to feel connected to a tribe. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs after just feeling like you're, 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 you are you're can survive and feeding your biological needs, feeding your, your body and all. The next important thing is a sense of belonging. That's why kids belong to gangs or teens, you know, peers are so important or we have our homies, our, 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 our peeps, right, uh, that we feel comfortable with. And that's both good, but it can also be not so good because often tribes are defined by who's not in our tribe. And so that leads to othering. That leads to groupthink and mob mentality because it's so important to be Connected and, and and feel safe within my small my small group, but when you start to widen that circle, so that you see we are all connected. You know that uh, uh, the picture of the Earth when when we first went out in space, and there was that that blue green marble. And the, the poster when I, that in the 60s that I grew up with, or the 70s, because 69 we went to the moon and all, but it, the poster said, we are all passengers on spaceship Earth. I think that was Buckminster Fuller. We are all passengers. I'm, I'm getting chills now just as I think of that. If you can have that understanding, we are all passengers on spaceship Earth, And now the common threat, it usually takes a common threat to bring people in the tribe together, like, oh, my city is better than your city, or my whatever, my country is better than your country, or there's an invasion, we better all get together. And now, the way I've seen it for a while is one of the... (coughs) kind of um, interesting catalysts for us coming together is the common threat of the end of this planet. And that's how I see how I've been holding climate change and the the unsustainability of the, the world that we're living in is demanding us that we wake up and we wake up together. And sooner or later, we're going to get that this will take everybody realizing we're in this together. It will happen sooner or later. I say, go for sooner, because there's going to be a whole lot of suffering any way you look at it. But the sooner that we can have people wake up to the fact that we're all in this together... Things happen very quickly when everybody's on the same page. Uh, just like, you know, whether it's same-sex marriage, or all of a sudden uh, in the in the last, you know, there's been a tipping point in the last couple of months with uh, it's not okay to uh, to uh, um, uh, to abuse and exploit sexually. You know, all of a sudden, have you seen it's like this, this is everywhere. Where you, you can't hide. Oh, it's not okay anymore, and we can't be silent anymore. How fast things can change, and conventional wisdom can change. So, this is what I hold as the possibility. As uh, as Andrew Harvey has said, I I have quoted him many times on this. We are in a dark night of the species just like the dark night of the soul in the spiritual journey where you go through the hardest times and you it's leading to the awakening that can happen right now the human species is going through these very um uh, scary times that i see as just the the hero's journey on a mass scale that gives us the possibility of an amazing potential to wake up from our, uh, our um, trance and, um, and do something beyond just what's good for me, but what's, what's good for everybody, because we're, we're all interconnected. That's the basic principle, and it's true. So I just ask you, uh, before we open it up, we can have a few comments. Uh, just go inside for a moment and think of a, a time, perhaps, that you felt really connected. Perhaps even just your, even your family or some group or some cause or some Aligned, shared vision where you were part of something that felt really good, where the whole was bigger than the sum of its parts. And if you can recall, just first recall how that felt how it felt inside to be part of something bigger. And as you reflect on it, what enabled you to do that? What were some of the supportive conditions that somehow helped you relax your armoring enough to be part of a bigger field? And what could you bring, what qualities or attitudes could you bring to whatever group or groups that you might be in now that could help bring out the best in others and help contribute to that field? What do you have to offer towards that end? just within your heart, doesn't necessarily mean your brilliant ideas as much as your spirit. And just, uh, you might envision just trying as an experiment to bring out the best in everyone in Whatever particular group comes to mind that you'd like to see that happen. And then experiment. Okay, you can open your eyes and let's see. Is any oh, yeah. So, we can take a few comments. Um, anything that comes up, all the way in the back. Uh, thanks, Andrew. And put it right next to your lips. On, yeah.
2: So uh, my name is Jane. I'm I'm kind of fascinated by this retreat, which was very different than what was expected. Uh huh. And um, I, I really agree what you say that that it takes a certain vulnerability to create community and sort of an, a degree of intimacy. So I'm curious, how with how did you Establish safety to help nurture this in this group of people coming in with different expectations and
0: mm-hmm. yeah, safety. Curious. How do you, how did we establish safety? Well, first of all, we talked about safety, but we also said we can't make safety happen. We there needs to be we can help create as much con, uh, supportive conditions as possible You know, confidentiality, uh, respect, talking about um, some principles of wise speech, like saying what's truthful and what's useful in a kind way, Um, and to keep on learning, that we were in it to keep on learning and helping each other learn. And yeah, there were mistakes made and people stepped on each other's toes, but there was a, There would be a chance for them to to share with us, with the teachers and process. And also, just through the the dyads and triads, and then going and, and small groups and then going back into silence to metabolize what was there, it, it was just over time. It didn't happen by the second day. It was really by the by the fifth day we were starting to see, hey, we've got something here. So you've got to be kind of patient with the process and create the structure from the outside and just keep on showing up from the inside. And the teachers themselves being very vulnerable, that sets an example and talking about our, you know, foibles and, and ways that we might have missed something and like that. Uh, but it's a process that we all... At some point, everybody kind of said, okay, here we are. What are we going to do with this? Are we going to spend the week wishing it were different or talking about how we can use this as practice? But you know, it doesn't necessarily work, but it did. It can work when there's enough critical mass, I think, for people to buy in. Yeah, And we also uh, gave people an option you know, if they didn't want to be part of it, they did. You know, we weren't going to say, "Come out from your room." Somebody who wanted to sit, uh, you know, said, "You know, I said, go sit in your room if that's what you need. That's okay. You just take care. Everybody takes care of themselves in the spirit of not turning their back or blaming the rest of of the group, but just taking care of ourselves." Here, right over here.
1: Thank you. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. I, um, put I it closer. a yeah. little closer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, I go to UC Berkeley and, um, we brought our little, our Buddhist club here tonight. Um, who else is? <laughs>
0: oh, great. Hi. <laughs>
1: and, uh, what what you're talking about is, you know, I, I feel very moved by that. And I really want to bring a sense of open-heartedness to my school community. But I find it really difficult, like, in these kind of communities where we're already kind of pointed in that direction. And it's like you get people that are like-minded in that way on retreats. But at school, it's a very different kind of energy people are really... It's the competitive energy and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, people that don't have any idea what I'm practicing. And I don't have any idea how to bring that and feeling comfortable mm-hmm. to bring that mm-hmm. open-heartedness there, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's true that it doesn't always happen. If it did, then we'd, uh, we'd all be singing kumbaya together and uh, on, on the planet. Uh, and and that, that conflict, it's actually through conflict that if you can hang in there, and I talked about, I gave a talk on sangha, refuge in the sangha, it's often through the conflict that people come to that, come through it. But there has to be... Um, some kind of an agreed buy-in that it feels better to get along than to not get along. And I you know I was a school teacher for, for many years, uh, fifth grade and sixth grade uh, mostly. And um, And most of the time my you know the, the classes were were good, but I've seen, and not only as a school teacher, but in groups, All it takes is one or two people, to usually just one, if it's a small enough group, to uh, disturb the field and the and the and the the chemistry, and that's the that's the tricky part. So it, I found it's better for me, say as a as somebody who holds a group, that safety is the thing that I'm as most responsible for. Not so much what everybody says or does but if somebody is not, is creating a, uh, a um, their energy is such that it doesn't feel safe for people I will need to say this isn't working and you have to decide whether you, if this isn't the right place for you, absolutely fine but I, I want to make it the right place for everybody who wants it to be the right place. So you have to decide. Um, and if there isn't that buy-in, it, 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 either it doesn't... If there isn't that buy-in or there's not a, um, a chance for somebody to be open to it, look at the chaos in the world. So And often... A leader, a good leader, is 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 a very important piece. Not that the leader leads by their power or might, but by their centeredness and their ability to listen and bring out the best in everyone. And so everybody does feel heard and validated. Vinnie was telling the story of of one. Oh it's uh we should go in a moment sorry uh i'll just finish this though um vinny who is this very cool dude he's got tattoos from head to up to his knees he is not going below his knees and he's he goes into the most intense neighborhoods with these kids who you know kind of going like this. And he's, he's got, done a lot of work in juvenile hall and stuff. And so he's kind of been on the front lines with people saying, who the heck do you think you are? They don't say, who the heck do you think you, they are? Uh, and, um, and he was telling the story to the group. He, this one guy who um, wouldn't have any of it on this challenge day You know all this nicey nice stuff, you know. And this guy gets up and he takes the the mic and he says, he starts cursing. I don't believe in this shit and 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 he really lets it out. And uh, afterwards, and after he's finished, he says, "Wow, that was great. Yeah, you really let it out. You've got such passion. That was so." real and so, or so, it was so you, I forget exactly. And the the kid was so disarmed because he'd never been validated before as having anything positive to contribute. It was his, his way was to be the contrary guy. And he, at first he didn't know what to do with it. And in very short order, he was weeping and crying and just saying, I've never been accepted before. And that was like this magical turn in the whole experience. So you never know. That's the thing. You never know. But if you can somehow hold the container where you're centered enough and have somebody feel hurt enough. Even if it means taking them aside, if it's too disturbing for the group, um, it's possible, but it's no guarantee. So your own centeredness and your own practice is what makes a difference. That's why I wanted this. We all wanted the, the everybody who came to that group to be ambassadors of the possibility, and you are too. That that's. As, my, as I've said many times, we're in a race between fear and consciousness right now. And the more agents of consciousness there are in this world, people want to be loved, want to feel safe, want to wake up, want to have a, a good life. They just don't know how to go about doing it. So that's why what we do here is so, so important. And it's not up to you to save the world. It's just up to you to to do what you can and bring out the best in others around, partly looking for the good in them. That's the main practice. Just keep on looking for what's good in them and you'll have a better chance of drawing them out. Uh, And if you can't, as the Dalai Lama says, you know, if you've done everything you can and there's negativity coming towards you from someone and you send them loving kindness and there's just arrows and uh, daggers, that's the time to find the nearest exit. You, you, you don't need to be in danger and be in harm's way if your energy field is not stronger than than someone else's. So really know, um, keep the company of the wise and know who you're, um, what, what the possibilities are and take care of yourself and then you can have an influence in others. And if you're a, a leader, a strong leader that's learned those kinds of things, to not take it personally and just uh, somehow have people buy into the what they really, what their hearts long for all along. Okay, so it's past nine thirty. Gosh, I was wondering if I'd have anything to say tonight because I didn't, I didn't have any talk prepared. But um, it's really good to be here with you. So um, let's just close with a, a loving kindness. Uh, oh, and I want to mention one thing uh, that I had texted Kate to mention. Uh, but she's not here, uh, that I'm going to be doing um, a day long with Jane Barris, that very wonderful speaker that was mentioned before, about gratitude uh, leading up to Thanksgiving uh, at Spirit Rock, Grateful Heart, Joyful Heart, on Sunday, uh, November 19th. So here's some uh, flyers on it. Uh, if, you're, if you want, come join us. So we'll close with the loving kindness. Just uh, go inside. Feel your own goodness of heart that would want to bring you here on a Thursday. And appreciate that place inside of you that loves the truth and that loves goodness and that wants to make a difference in this world. And send yourself some good thoughts because you deserve them. Your happiness will be a gift to everyone else in your life. May I feel all the love inside of me and share it well. May I share my gifts well. May I speak my truth and be interested enough to hear others' truth so that there can be real connection. Um, And then from this room, sending out to all beings everywhere as I want true well-being, may all know true well-being in their life May all see through their fears and separation and feel connected with the web of life. May all know the highest happiness and peace. And may our coming here together ripple out and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much for coming. And uh, I will be here next week. At least that's the plan. Uh, so maybe I'll see you next week too. And no Thanksgiving meeting will... will.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org donate.